2: Hey, welcome to Whitlock's Weekly Firestarters. I'm Uncle Jimmy, and uh, I'm here to give you a rundown of what to expect uh, for your show today. All right, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Let's get right to it. On Monday's show... um, There wasn't a show. uh, I'm sorry. And uh, that voice that you hear right there is, of course, the first lady of the fear. I mean, I'm talking about the one and only... Shamika Michelle. Shamika, how are you?
3: I'm doing well, Jimmy. Thank you. Uncle Jimmy. Yeah, That's the crowd.
2: (laughs) I love her like a play cousin. Anyway, on Tuesday's show, the incomparable Mr. DHS himself, Delano Squires, he guest host on Tuesday, and he bought a great fire starter talking about MLK and the people that have messed up his legacy or let's try this. He's talked about MLK, and he asked the question: Have people messed up the legacy of MLK? Mm-hmm. I was really surprised at uh, how we went about that. I enjoyed it. What do you think about that, Uh, uh What do you think about the legacy of M- MLK?
3: Ah, uh, we shall
2: overcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I have. That's to all say. I have to
1: say. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day a holiday created to honor one of this country's most important figures. Dr. King worked to heal the country of the illness of racial discrimination. His successors preferred to keep the body politics sick, often by fighting for some of the things he fought against. To put it bluntly, Dr. King's activist heirs have betrayed his legacy. Dr. King lived his life working to make America's deeds live up to its creeds. He spoke boldly about the hypocrisy of a nation founded on the equality of all men, legalizing the subjugation of some men because of skin color. His successors have a much different agenda. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton share Dr. King's roots in a church tradition that has always seen social activism and moral formation as intertwined. They should have continued to fight for the things that hold black people back from fully reaping the benefits of a free and open society. Good leaders adapt to the times. So those fights may have been over public policy or self-destructive cultural practices. Instead, they turned the civil rights movement into the racial grievance industry. Subsequent generations have continued the downward trajectory. The movement used to be powered by people who believed in equality under the law. They fought so that skin color would not be a barrier to opportunities. Now the movement is powered by people inking book deals and collecting millions in donations from middle class blacks, guilty whites and big tech CEOs. The worst part of this transformation isn't the fact that activists have gotten rich. It's that their ideas only improve their lives, not ours. They have a perverse incentive to paint America as a hopelessly racist country. That is why I can't imagine someone like Dr. King would support Ibram X. Kendi's belief that the only way to remedy past discrimination is present discrimination, and the only way to remedy present discrimination is future discrimination. I also can't imagine a man who was killed in the midst of organizing a multiracial poor people's campaign would agree that black millionaires and billionaires are oppressed but white store clerks in Eastern Kentucky are privileged. Perhaps the most important difference between King and the leading social justice movements today is the foundation upon which their respective movements are built. King and his peers grounded their civil rights work in the Christian scriptures. The women who started the Black Lives Matter organization are self-described Marxists. Their guiding principles never mention God and their protest movement is not connected in any way to the church. This doesn't mean they don't have spiritual roots. Patrice Cullors, one of BLM's co-founders, said the following in reference to calling out the names of victims at protests. She said, it is literally almost resurrecting a spirit so they can work through us to get the work that we need to get done. BLM is built on Marxist views of class conflict and the belief that the material world is all that matters. They don't seek to answer the deep questions of right or wrong or good and evil. They speak in the language of resources and wealth, goods and equity. King and his Christian followers had a belief in God that gave them hope. They believed love could overcome hatred. Today's activists seem to be filled with anger and despair. They threaten violence when they feel they've been denied justice. King's activism produced optimism. BLM's activism produces nihilism. This is probably why it's so rare to find a happy radical. Dr. King also differs from today's activists because of his willingness to apply the same moral standards and loving critiques to African Americans that he did to whites. After committing to banishing discrimination and segregation from every aspect of American life, King said the following in a 1957 speech in Birmingham. He said, and another thing, my friends, we kill each other too much. We cut up each other too much. There is something that we can do. We've got to go down in the quiet hour and think about this thing. We've got to lift our moral standards at every hand at every point. You may not have a PhD degree. You may not have an MA degree. You may not have an AB degree, but the great thing about life is that any man can be good and honest and ethical and moral and can have character. Black democratic politicians, pundits, activists, and academics today would say this type of rhetoric promotes what they derisively call respectability politics. But Dr. King knew that you can't demand someone treat you as priceless when you treat yourself as worthless. Another lesson today's activists should have learned from Dr. King is that the rejection of moderation often leads to more radicalism. Is it any surprise the Black Panthers would choose a more radical path after seeing well-dressed, dignified Christians marching for equality, greeted with police dogs and water hoses? We are in danger of repeating that mistake. The left thinks white Americans have benefited from centuries of unearned privilege, and now they want to even the score. They work tirelessly and pay Robin DiAngelo quite handsomely to activate the racial consciousness of every white person in the country, whether their ancestors came here on the Mayflower or emigrated recently from Finland. Then they make whites the only racial group who can be attacked publicly. The Daily Beast declares, you damn Karens are killing America. CNN claims there's nothing more frightening in America today than an angry white man and The Root publishes a race tutorial on the five types of Becky. White liberals love these types of headlines because they are burdened by race guilt. Their public self-flagellation is a purifying religious ritual. It grants them absolution from the sins of their ancestors and puts distance between themselves and the whites who are still ritually unclean. But what does the left think comes next when they call every Republican, whether black or white, a white supremacist. They are summoning demons they will not be able to control. Ethnic conflict and hatred are the rule, not the exception across human history. Wise leaders would heed this universal lesson, look to the past to show how far we've come as a a nation, and correct course to avoid a future filled with tribal warfare. Foolish leaders would continue to inflame racial tensions to further their own political goals by exploiting by explicitly apportioning government resources and cultural capital by race. It is clear which types of leaders we have today. Our elected officials and leading race scribes think that discrimination under the guise of equity is progress. They are committing the ultimate act of betrayal to Dr. King's legacy. Our country has come very far. Unfortunately, the civil rights activists who lay claim to his mantle have fallen just as far The NAACP of King's Day filed lawsuits to overturn Jim Crow laws across the South. Today's NAACP fights to overturn pro-life laws in Texas. The brightest minds of King's generation worked tirelessly to push legislation that gave black people equality under the law. Now Michael Eric Dyson accuses black conservatives of being mouthpieces for white supremacy. And Ben Crump rejoices because the term master bedroom is no longer used in real estate listings. Both men claim America has failed to live up to Dr. King's dream. But in reality, they are the ones who betrayed this vision for the country. This desperation is a sign that the demand for racism far exceeds the supply. That is a testament to the progress we've made on the issue of race. Dr. King knew that racial discrimination was completely incompatible with biblical justice or America's founding principles. He gave his life to eradicate racial hatred in pursuit of a better country for his children and grandchildren. We are faced with the same task today. We have new challenges that he could never imagine, but we should heed his call to see our common humanity is more important than our skin color. If we don't, Dr. King's dream will give way to a new national nightmare.
2: Hey, on Tuesday, uh, we had another fire on how the NAACP used to be about fighting for the issues amongst the black community, and now they're more focused on the fight for gender rights. Mm -hmm. Mm. NAACP. Mm. You know, when I was growing up, you know what they said NAACP stood for? What's that? Negroes are actually colored
1: What? (laughs) W.E.B. Du Bois famously said that the problem of the 20th century was the problem of the color line. We celebrated Dr. King's birthday yesterday to acknowledge everything he did to help the country resolve that problem. Now we have a much different threat to confront. The problem of the 21st century will be the rejection of the gender binary. In less than 10 years, the mainstream position on sex and gender has shifted radically. Caitlyn Jenner is out of the closet. All of the people who believe in biology have taken his place inside. The same people who have spent over a year telling the public to trust the science when it comes to masks choose to ignore the science when it comes to human anatomy. They also police speech with ruthless aggression. One wrong pronoun can get a person fired or fined. Here's the truth. Whether you're grounded in genesis or genetics, there are only two sexes, male and female. Conditions like intersectionality don't change that norm they reinforce it. So how did we get to the point where basic biology is treated as heresy? The answer is simple. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their foolish hearts. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Our folly comes at a high price. This issue gets the most attention when it comes to athletics. Names like Leah Thomas, CeCe Telfer, and Fallon Fox are familiar to some sports fans. But the single most important job of one generation is to create the next generation. How can people who are confused about the definitions of man and woman make a new generation? What hope does a country have when most of its most educated and powerful people use terms like birthing person and the mass is not along in agreement like sheep. What, what exactly is exceptional about a country in which headlines like transgender man gives birth after grinder one night stand while transitioning and he gave birth, he breastfed. Now he wants his son to see him as a man running public uh, major publications. How long does a civilization have before total collapse when the following quote is accepted as normal? A month into pregnancy, Shade met his current husband, Jordan, 28. Eight months later, Ronan was born in October 2020. Now the pair are raising the child together with the support of friends, the trans community, and the, sat- and the satanic temple church of which he's a member. How much have our views on the body and the family changed when the featured Father's Day essay on CNN in 2018 included this quote. But when it comes to lessons learned as a toddler, there are some things Sebastian wants to teach Jackson, father to son. One of them is how to pee standing up. Something Sebastian does with the help of a detachable prosthetic. We are in a battle for truth. If we lose this, There's no telling how bad things will get. In his last speech before he was assassinated, Dr. King said he'd been to the mountaintop. He said he didn't fear any man and wasn't concerned about how long he lived because he just wanted to do God's will. We need that type of fearlessness. My desire to return to our senses on gender is rooted in a desire to do God's will. The lie that gender is all about feelings dishonors God's intricate design for man and woman. Encouraging people to embrace that lie is neither loving nor kind. The color line determined the society our ancestors endured. The gender binary will determine the societies our descendants inherit. We need to be willing to tell the truth even if people hate us and call us names. If not, America will have a generation of confused, depressed and mutilated children who wish we were willing to die on our hill.
2: I think on Wednesday's show, I think that was the show that I found out that God don't answer all prayers. Seriously, because on Wednesday's show, I was now let me clear this up. I didn't want anything bad to happen to Jason's plane. But it could have been delayed a little bit, so we could have had one more day with Delano, TJ, and Shamika. Am I right? We—I mean, he didn't have to show up on Wednesday, but nonetheless, he did and just walked in the door and went unscripted, mono straight off the top of the head, talking about our Alabama head coach Nick Saban and his letter to Senator Joe Manchin. I know the word "Shamika." Well, you were
3: stuttering. I ain't know. I mean, you waited. You paused.
2: That was the word I was waiting for you. Anyway, about Senator Joe Manchin and about the voting rights bill.
3: Mm-hmm. Check Please, that out. sir. You gonna have to get them some rights. Them black folks can't vote. I knows you think we's all free now, but we's not. We can't get no ID. They can't get nothing. We got to do something for those ni- nice people.
2: M I S T E R. Mister.
4: (laughs) Nick Saban, the Alabama football coach who uh, has thrown his name into the political arena by signing his name to a letter asking for uh, Joe Manchin, the senator out of West Virginia, uh, who's turned into a real thorn in the side for Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Uh, because he refuses to back down on the filibuster, and now uh, Nick Saban—it it made big news all yesterday. Nick Saban and Jerry West, the former NBA great, uh, they're both from Virginia originally, or from West Virginia originally, and they signed a letter asking Joe Manchin to support uh, either the John Lewis. Voting Rights Act or the Freedom to Vote Voting Rights Act. I'm not, there's two bills. I'm not sure what they're calling them, but they're asking Joe Manchin and I think Kirsten Sinema, another Democrat who won't back down on the filibuster. She's not for throwing the filibuster away the way the Democrats are. But Sabin and Jerry West, to a lesser degree, made big news by asking Joe Manchin uh, to support. The, this voting rights deal. And the media, of course, ignored the fact that uh, Sabin added a note that he's for keeping the filibuster. And I think my understanding is, Joe Manchin's going to support the Voting Rights Act or whatever the Democrats are imposing, implementing, or trying to implement He's just not for tossing away the filibuster. And so in order to get this thing passed, uh, you have to toss out the filibuster because the Republicans are gonna use it to stop the bill from getting passed in the Senate. And so Nick Saban has signed his name to a letter. It was almost like he wrote a letter uh, to me saying, Jason, uh, I want to support you. I want you to continue to support McDonald's. Well, I was gonna do that anyway. I didn't need uh a letter from Jerry West and Nick Saban man- <laughs> you know, <laughs> that steakhouse you love, Kane Prime. We want you to continue to support I-, I was gonna do it. It it and so why the media has played this up, I think is obvious because the media loves to turn Uh, take everything out of context and turn everything in the sports world highly political. But today, I'm really not even that upset with the media. The media is going to do what the media does. My issue is Nick Saban. Nick Saban is playing a game for recruiting advantage. Nick Saban uh, has come out pro-Black Lives Matter He's come out pro-vaccine, and now he's made this big public ado about coming out pro-voting rights. And I'm not sure if Nick Saban believes in any of it. I think he knows that this serves him well over social media. I think he knows that this keeps critics at bay, the people that hate football and the people that hate people like Nick Saban. Very conservative. Very conservative. I I would... Perhaps it's all speculation on my part, but I don't think Nick Saban voted for Hillary Clinton. I tend to think he, vo- I tend to doubt whether he voted for Joe Biden. Nick Sa- but Nick Saban's very clever. How do I keep social media off me? How do I keep uh, the black, woke sports media and perhaps some moms off my back? Well, let me take some calculated stances that portray me as woke and watch all the media celebrate me. I was looking at it over Twitter and just all these sheep were like, man, Nick Saban, he's pro BLM, he's pro Vax, and he's pro voting rights. Everybody's falling for the garbage. And it, it bothers me that from Saban to who's had all of this incredible success. He's the Bill Belichick of college football. But just like Bill Belichick and just like Tom Brady and just like many people in the sport, Drew Brees, none of these guys have the courage to back up their convictions. They fold, they're afraid of the woke mob. And so when we are on this show virtually every day talking about being fearless and the weakness of men This is what I'm talking about, about why the world is falling, is men will not stand on the things that they believe. They will stand on whatever protects their paycheck. And it does not matter how much money they've made, how much success they've had. Nick Saban has all the money any man could ever spend in his life. He has all the acclaim. His reputation and legacy in college football are set in stone. But he's so uh, afraid of losing his grip on college football, L- losing, taking a back seat perhaps to Dabble Sweeney or uh, Kirby Smart or Jim Harbaugh or whomever, that all the titles, six, seven national titles, uh, all the money that he's made, he's got to be worth close to $100 million by this point, uh, it doesn't matter. Same goes for Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, We know Bill Belichick's a concern, but he's not going to stand on anything that risks getting on the crossways with social media. Same thing I say about Tom Brady. Love him to death, but weak and cowardly as it relates to the vaccine, as it relates to his political beliefs. We've watched everybody fold. Everybody fold. This... <clears throat> scam that they're running on this voting rights deal is The Democrats and and again, I've been traveling. I don't want to make excuses because I have given this a lot of thought But I'm not gonna write my column about this until later today I normally like to write my column first then deliver because the column makes me really really think But, but All yesterday and today, all of my thoughts are about what the Democrats are doing as it relates to voting rights and as as it relates to what they're doing in this era, in this specific time in America. It's almost like, to make a golf analogy, they want a mulligan on racism. They blew it. The Democrats blew it during the Civil War and they blew it during the Civil Rights Movement. And they want a mulligan. And so what they're doing is they're trying to create the belief that it's the 1950s and 60s all over again. And oh my god, if we don't pass this John Lewis Act, black people won't be able to vote. It's and I'm 54 years old. I've lived in South Carolina. I've lived in Kansas City, Missouri. I've lived in California. I've lived in Indiana if I miss, and now I live in Tennessee. I have not run into, in my family, or any people that I've dealt with in any of those states, I haven't run into black people that have told (laughs) man, I tried to vote in that last election, and man, the white supremacists just stopped me. I couldn't vote. (laughs) Oh, if we don't do something, Next time, how? I mean, I've just been denied this vote. That's what was going on in America in the 1900s, all the way up through pretty much the Voting Rights Act. Black people's voting rights were in real jeopardy. I'm not saying that right now they're 100% safe, because maybe there is. I've had people try to convince me that, you know, our voting rights are flimsy or whatever, but I just haven't run into these people who are being denied the opportunity to vote. And so when black people were being denied the opportunity to vote, systemically, the Democratic Party was nowhere to be found. When we were enslaved, The Democratic Party, nowhere to be found. When the KKK was lynching black people to intimidate them in the ways that they voted or to keep them in line, the Democratic Party was nowhere to be found. And so here we are in 2021. Uh, What is that? Now we're five years removed from Barack Obama's presidency. Now our voting rights are so in jeopardy that if they don't pass this Pacific law, who knows if we'll ever be able to vote again. Now that we're five years removed from having a two-term black president, our, our current president is holding speeches and rallies telling America that the greatest threat to America is white supremacy. Joe Biden has been in political office, I believe, for 48 years. 48 years ago, he had an opportunity to give speeches and say, whoo, this white supremacy, we got to do something about it. He didn't do that at that time. He called the desegregation of schools. He didn't want his kids going to racial jungles. He, he ran around and, and celebrated Robert Byrd, a member of the KKK. When it was time to step up and let your little boys hang, Joe Biden was nowhere to be found. And now in 2021, when Dr. Dre and Snoop and Mary J. Blige are the halftime show of the Super Bowl, the greatest, most powerful event we have, they're going to let a bunch of clown rappers come on and cuss and do all, but black cultures baked in, whatever what they're calling black cultures, baked into the greatest event that we put on. And we're supposed to believe we're supposed to go for the now Joe Biden has found his voice. And oh, this white supremacy, we just got to stop it. the proud boys. They're just gonna mess this whole thing up. This man was alive when the KKK was burning crosses and killing black folks at random, at and he said nothing. There, this is Groundhog Day. This is, this is, oh man, we blew it. <clears throat> So let's use social media, let's use Facebook, Twitter, Google, uh, corporate media to make everybody believe it's 1955, and now I've found my voice. Me and Stacey Abrams, Stacey Abrams is Martin Luther King, and Joe Biden is JFK. and they're meeting over ham hocks and chitlins to fix this mess. I mean, this is crazy. And it's so, and for Nick Saban to lend his voice to this kind of lunacy, and he knows it's crazy. He's a coward. And all of us, I'm just ashamed of men. I really am, because I couldn't imagine having all of that money, all of that acclaim and success, and still being afraid to say what I think. Mm -hmm. I don't have half of that. And I could care less if everybody over social media hates me. Nick Saban, I I think, fronts like he's got some, some spiritual beliefs, that he believes in God. And on Thursday, we had journalist Christopher
2: Moyato. He's going to be in here to discuss the article on, once again, that transgender bender swimmer, Leah Thomas. Man, you know what? If I'd known that cutting off my wee-wee would get me that much attention, I probably would try it. I'd have bought
3: one and then cut it off if, if I'd have known. Damn
2: national news. As <laughs> a whole new term to the meaning, a new following. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you're on this show, aren't you, Shamika?
3: Yes, I'm on Thursday's show.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. and I think you used the analogy, a very interesting analogy, of why this swimmer had the advantage.
3: Correct, he has an extra fin. Doom, doom. Doom, 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 doom.
4: <laughs> Leah Thomas, I think, was born William Thomas before transitioning, um, and was an original member of the uh, Penn's men's swim team. Swim team, and now is a threat to break all kinds of records in women swimming. And the Washington Examiner and OutKick have kind of been all over this story and giving a voice. Uh, to the female athletes on that swim team who have been impacted by Leah Thomas' uh, arrival on the team and arrival in Ivy League sports. And so we, I wanted to kind of start there with a foundation, and then we're going to open it up to uh, a conversation and some analysis and opinion from myself, TJ Moe, and Shamika Michelle. Uh, but let's first uh, bring in Christopher Trimoya, uh from the Washington Examiner. Chris, uh, welcome to the show, and I guess now understanding that you went to the University of Penn, I guess that explains why you've been able to get some of these young ladies to talk to you about what's going on with the swim team.
5: Yeah, actually, I graduated at the University of Pennsylvania in uh, December 2020, and believe it or not, I actually sat next to William Thomas in one of my classes um in fall 2018 so i know william well i wouldn't say i know william i was a classmates with william um but i do never have not had to did not know any of that was going on with the whole transgender transition uh to leah at all but yes yeah, so i know some of the reached out to some of the swimmers to get their perspective as you've covered and as you can imagine they're not very happy themselves of what's going on And who can blame
4: him? It's fascinating that you had a class with William Thomas. And so at that time, there was no discussion about him potentially transitioning to being a woman and competing against female athletes. And and again, I know you said you didn't know him well, but was there anything that raised an eyebrow to you looking back in retrospect?
5: No, nothing at all. Um, I, I didn't know him all that well. We were in a Russian class together. Um, so we did, you know, basically like group exercises and dialogue exercises in that area. But as far as knowing him outside the classroom, I didn't at all. But nothing that would have ever given me an uh, you know, insight or a, a thing, a thought that this was uh, going to be occurring or in the process of occurring. Cause, as i cover in my article the whole uh, announcement that he was L- william was going to become leah and swim on the female team started a couple years prior it just didn't happen out this year and that's what one of the swimmers told me so i i, I, I guess that time sort of would have overlapped in which we were in class together but nothing that i would have ever presumed uh that this was going to happen or he he wasn't he never spoke of anything of you know that uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, any other gender flu, whatever it's called nowadays, any of that stuff. So um, that was never on an, op- an idea that I ever thought was going to possibly happen.
4: So there's a bunch of questions that run through my mind with you <laughs> being this close to the program in the school, but I, I, I just kind of want to start here because I think I've read that Leah, formerly William, is six foot three and so is he significantly bigger taller longer than the other female other swimmers on
5: the pin women's team well he's significantly taller than me i'm six feet tall um and i know that he I, I didn't know he was six feet three i figured he was between you know six two and six four so that would make sense um the the swimmer i know uh was like five eight five nine she was a little shorter than me so um definitely there is a height advantage there as well for william and i looked the uh the statistics up myself and as far as the male swimmers the average height is six feet two inches tall for men and for women the height is average is out to be five feet nine inches so you're talking about a five inch different uh in height between male and female that's a huge difference and huge competitive edge if you're just swimming and you need um you know as much height and distance as you can or i guess wingspan or reach, I guess you'd say for, probably for swimmers that you could possibly get. Which is why all this like nonsense about, you know, uh, hormone suppression and treatments and that the NCAA has backed, it just doesn't make any logical sense at all. It doesn't seem to fit with the whole, like trusting the science that has been like the mantra in this country for the past couple years. So none of that really seems to hold any water to it. No pun intended. Uh, when it comes to the fact that there's just a, a biological Advantage that women cannot compete with, insofar as that their height, you know, in this particular instance their height, and then there's also the you know the, the bone structure, lung capacity. I read bigger hands, just, just overall in general. So if it, if it was as simple as the NCAA and the Ivy League and every woke person has tried to make it be, then why just real you know, from the root of everything? Why are there men and women sports? Why are they separated to begin with?
4: Totally agree. Uh, listen, Penn's an Ivy League school. It's probably, I'm speculating, pretty progressive, pretty left. Are you taking a lot of flack for being a Penn graduate, part of the club, part of the elite group, and, and taking on this issue and taking the other side of this issue uh, than the university, a very progressive university? Are you taking flack from your peers uh, you know, former students, faculty, are people upset with you?
5: Actually, I've gotten a fair amount of hate mail, I would say, um, but nothing related to hate mail as far as the University of Pennsylvania, just different like trolls or you know, random comments, uh, people leaving messages on my Facebook page and, and Twitter. Nothing like nothing as bad as, as some of the articles I have in the past believe it or not, I've actually gotten a lot of praise and thanks for actually speaking up and doing this issue um, for women's sports. I have a lot of my female friends who I would even, some who I would even identify as left-wing and liberal um, have come out and spoke and thanked me and have said that like, we appreciate you doing this. I mean, as much as I appreciate the accolades, all the credit goes to the female swimmer who's having the courage to speak out. So I'm just the scribe here, writing everything down. She's the one who deserves all the credit. Uh, but as far as the as comments in general, like believe it or not. And I was kind of, I th- literally thought I was going to get attacked. I know media matters did a story, um, bashing Fox news and pretty much every right wing, bro. I think your show might've been on there listed as far as like spending too much time covering this story. Um, and, and they, they referenced my article in it as well. But as far as that, I mean, I was, it was kind of a little bit surprised as to how much like hate I have not received on it and it's been mostly positive as far as like bringing awareness to the situation which like I said I can't emphasize enough the credit belongs to the uh, swimmer speaking out here.
4: All right, your stories and stories I've seen on OutKick are creating the impression with me that all the girls on the swim team are pretty either upset, irate, or at least frustrated by what's going on with Leah Thomas. But are there some ladies on this team that are in full support and, and feel like you,
5: me, and others are the bad guys? To my knowledge and you know, everything I've done as far as interviewing, the overwhelming majority are not in favor and kind of resented and are frustrated and angry. Um, I believe I was told she might have one or two female uh, friends on the team, but I mean, there's also one thing that the swimmer emphasized is that they have to train together. Um, Penn came to them and said that Leah swimming with them was going to be a non-negotiable. So it was going to happen regardless. And they had, you know, they could, they were provided with uh, counselors that they could possibly talk to if they were upset. But in even with that, the counselors weren't going to be able to do anything and from what i also understand the coaches hands were tied as well so as far as the 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 environment and the atmosphere it's the to my knowledge the, a lot of the women are upset um i know that they said that some of the i was speaking to about my source and she said that had she known this was going to happen during her time here she isn't exactly sure that she would have gone through and committed to going to the University of Pennsylvania. She said she loves the school, loves her teammates, loves her coach, praised her coach for making her a better swimmer, but she also said that in hindsight, had she known this was going to go on, she's not sure that she would have uh, actually committed. So I think that's indicative of pretty much the sentiment of the female swimmers so of what's going on. because. I mean, I, 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 athletes in, in college, you know, they're recruited in their high school years to go to the school. And I think, if I recall correctly, it's usually our junior year when they kind of uh, do most of the uh, linking up between, you know, applying for school and, and, and getting into it. So th- I just put, putting yourself in that position and putting myself in that position, I just can't imagine. It's basically a bait and switch. You're told you can have free and, you know, a fair competition among fellow women, and then boom, out of nowhere, uh you, you're stuck competing against a man right? so I, 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 obviously there's not the, the, a lot of happiness um and uh there is tension the problem is there's they're not really they can say much about it because they, there is a, a, an atmosphere as you well covered as far as being on the ivy league and the leftist uh campus um that is pretty much you if you speak out about it and my source covered this as well she said, "If you speak out about it, you're pretty much just going to be called a transphobe or a, a, yeah, whatever a transphobic transphobic comments, transphobia, and all those uh, negative comments. But in reality, it has nothing to do with that. It just basically has to do with like this is not what they were promised. This is the the opportunities that are being taken away from them, um, and it's just they feel very like you know it's just not fair. And I can't blame them because it's not fair.
2: Anyway, listen on Friday show. Jason had columnist Ted Joy on." Joya Ted joy Joya like
3: joy <sighs> Joya
2: Jason had Ted on to discuss the trend of old music becoming more popular
4: than new music Ted I actually think it's happening and I think people haven't recognized I'm gonna throw you a bit of a curveball and okay. and I, I'm wondering if you're... I think the actual oppressed group that is starting to generate music that people are tuning into is the MAGA people. And it's like these Let's Go Brandon songs that aren't really that great, but they've been taking off uh, and having success. And then I don't know if if you know you know the artist Aaron Lewis that used to be the frontman for Stained, and then he became a country guy, and he made this song last July 4th. Am I the only one? It's had a lot of success. I I I I I think people are going to be but I I think people making music for the MAGA crowd are actually going to have success. And that, that, that anti-establishment group is going to be where the next musical revolution perhaps comes from. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to hear a hit
0: song on Let's Go Brandon. I've I've heard a few of those (laughs) have gone viral. They they haven't struck me as, as uh, the next Beatles, but you raise an interesting point in the past, New sounds came from the counterculture. These were people that were on the fringes of the count of the culture. They weren't insiders. The, the Sex Pistols and punk rock. They were all outsiders. Remember the counterculture. The same thing with the grunge rockers and Nirvana, or the rock people. And and there's a a real gap in the counterculture right now. There's probably if you the the, the right is pro the right is probably more counterculture than the left right now. So that's. That's a very revealing thing. But uh, what we do need is a vibrant counterculture of people being able to produce songs and writings, books and movies that aren't part of the establishment. Uh, And and sort of this elite culture has become monolithic and that will collapse. There will be some outside voice that will put a dent in it. Uh, And I, and I, I don't know if it's gonna come from TikTok or YouTube, I tend to think it might come from overseas. I think the next big movement might come from Africa or Indonesia or Brazil or some place where you don't expect it. But I do think the monolithic culture in the United States is now a kind of echo chamber and needs to be shaken up from some source. I just don't know where that's going to happen.
4: And I'm going to double back on a little bit and just say, like, the counterculture is whether we like it or not, whether people agree with it or not, the whole establishment is saying, get vaxxed, get vaxxed, get vaxxed. And there are people like, that don't wanna get vaxxed, don't wanna have to show their papers to eat at restaurants. And there's all these people, you know, if you like Trump, you're the worst person in the world, you, you know, this, that, and another. And, and from that is going to come a brand and a style of music that, uh, again, music that is counterculture against the establishment and music that speaks to people's hearts and emotions. And so I grew up on R&B and rap. And, And rap, when it first started, Rapper's Delight was kind of fun. And then I really fell in love with rap with Public Enemy, and KRS-One, and out of New York, there was like this really anti-establishment, black pride music that was in rap. And, And then rap just became very materialistic and very hedonistic, and it just lost me. I just don't have the same level of passion. And when I look at Cardi B and what she raps, it just doesn't connect with people's souls and hearts. And so I I just think the artists are like throwing away their audience because all the music is so materialistic and the people that that seem to want to have a message of some kind behind their music seem to be the people, the the unvaxxed, the conservative, whatever, they seem to be having music that with a real message. I I can't, rappers aren't even really making social justice music. Uh, uh, They're making, you know, music about drugs and sex. And anyway, I just, I read your article and I thought, wow, this guy has captured something I've been feeling for a long time, like this new music just isn't any good. And they're creating an opportunity uh, for people that I'm not sure if they know that they're creating that opportunity for?
1: A
0: lot of people feel the same way you do. I Probably the single biggest response I've gotten from my article is people telling me that the problem is with the songs. He said, the songs are no good. The songs were much better back in the day. Now, I don't completely disagree with that. I find a lot of the current pretty valid too. But I will say, the problem is not that there aren't good musicians out there. I listen to new music all the time. There are great musicians out there, and there's creative work happening. The problem is the system is broken. It won't give these people visibility. You know, for example, radio stations have such tight formats now that if you came out with a new sound, they wouldn't play. The formats haven't changed in 20 years. What gets on a country radio station today has to sound pretty much what it did like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Or, or pop or hip hop or jazz or classical music is the is the best example. Classical music doesn't change in decades. The problem is the whole music scene is is now becoming like that. So it's it's not a fact that there aren't good musicians. The problem is they're not being nurtured. They're not being discovered by the music industry. They're not getting supported. We need a culture that brings these people wherever they are, whether it's in uh, poor parts of the United States or the inner city or in uh, middle America or overseas. We need to have more institutional support and and, and more uh, people that care and will bring them to the attention of us. Because there's, let me tell you, there's great music out there. It's just, it, it's it's not getting a voice. As I
2: said, I'm Uncle Jimmy, that right there, that is the lovely Shamika Michelle. She's the first lady of the Fearless family. Go to YouTube.com dot slash Jason Whitlock.
3: Hit the like and subscribe button and join the Fearless Army and get the new Fearless Army
2: swag gear. I keep telling you know get swaggy with it. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about. Go, go 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 out and go out and perch some merch. Indeed. You know what? I need you need to make sure that you post some pictures of you in some of this fearless merch, also, Shamika.
3: Well, I've been waiting on some.
2: You know, eyes
3: eyes work hard, but I can't get no gear. How's I gonna let the folk know that I'm fearless? Cause I fearless because I can't wear nothing.
2: I Shemeika, can't wear nothing Shemeika, no more. It was nice having you on the show. Roll of thunder, guaranteed. It was nice having you. They will cry. not have you back. It's over. Thunder. Hurry up, Cory, hit the button. Why we still have a bye. child? She gonna get us Rule all fired.